Wait, stop the music. This is Jim. I got to tell you, Harry Bartosiak is one of my dearest friends. He's actually my oldest friend in broadcasting. However, he does not know how to plug in a microphone. So you will notice a few uh, technical difficulties in this broadcast. I call them operator errors because I don't think he knows how to plug in a microphone. But there are going to be a few times where you don't hear Harry for a few seconds. And there's going to be a few times where it sounds like he's broadcasting from the surface of the moon. But trust me, they're going to be few and far between, and I'm going to make them funny. I promise you. Okay, now, here are the Dukes of Dixieland. Down the TV rabbit hole we go again. Jim Sion and Harry Bartosiak, where we talk about TV shows that, for one reason or another, just affected us over the years. How are you doing, Harry? Hi, Jim. This is Harry. I only wish that I was as handsome and as talented as you. Well, it's good to hear your voice, and... I just want to explain once again, the way we do this show, we don't necessarily pick like, oh, the best show of 1980 or the, the best show or, you know, we pick shows that for some reason or another just had an impact on us over the years. And you had the great explanation when you did Hogan's Heroes previously. I, you said basically, how can they do a, a comedy in a prisoner of war camp, right? Yeah, it didn't seem like a naturally comedic premise. And I thought about the same thing with a few other shows. Um, but all of a sudden, and I had had another show picked out, but this one just came to me like a bolt of lightning. And I said, oh, my God, I can't wait to do this show because just the fact that when I announce it, Harry is going to laugh for about 30 seconds straight. <laughs> and, and, and I thought about it, and it, it was a tough one to go down the rabbit hole on. But it's a show, and I'm going to kick it off, and I know you have a show ready to go, but I'm going to kick it off oh, with yeah. mine. This, right. this was a show, uh, hang on, it was on uh, ABC from September of 1967 to April of 1970. And it reminded, yeah, a sweet spot for us. It reminded me very much of, of the time that, uh, and I'm not doing Mr. Ed, but George Burns had McCadden Productions. And a guy came in, and he's all nervous, and he says, okay, Mr. Burns, I have this idea for a show. Okay, you see, we have this to talking horse, and George Burns immediately held up his hand. He said, I'll buy it. <laughs> and the guy said, wait a minute, I, I didn't even get into anything. He said, who's not going to watch a show about a talking horse? <laughs> so, so this one epitomizes that in Hogan's Heroes and just the strange premise immediately. And I think it even trumps them all because I'm talking about the show that was I know what it is. Oh, no. <laughs> I bet you do. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead and guess. My favorite Martian. No. I'm going to go you one better because I've selected the Flying Nun. <laughs> yes. Very good. Oh, my gosh. Sally Field, the Flying Nun, Change of Habit. No, that was an Elvis movie. Right. But, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I'm not laughing for 30 seconds. No. But I, but, but, but but I, have, to, I have to tell you. Yeah. It never once struck me as an unusual premise. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Are you? Well, you know, I'll tell you the truth. I think as a kid, yeah. I, I don't think I... But now, when I'm thinking about it, especially, I'm like, the flying nun? How did the guy not just kicked out, get kicked out of the office? What, are you an idiot? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's definitely unusual. But I was just thinking back. I'm like, this is the first time I've ever really um, processed that premise other than, oh, yeah, Flying Nun, yeah, <laughs> Sally Field, yeah. Well, it just goes to show if you put it on TV, you know, like my favorite Martian. We know there aren't any Martians, but we, oh, okay. Yeah, Ray Walston, sure, he's a Martian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, my God, yeah. Well, tell me, because I don't remember too much about the Flying Nun. I think it's all going to come back in waves. Well. Uh, I, don't even, I don't remember anything except her at the beginning, like, standing outside of a building or something, looking around, and all of a sudden she's, the wind picks up or something. She starts right. to fly, and you see she's got these long black boots on under that long skirt or whatever, and she's still flying around. And, well. Uh, that's all I remember. That's it, it. And I'll tell you the truth. There's really not that much more to the show. Uh, Mother it, Superior, too. There was some character called Mother Superior, yes, right? Yes, yes. Sa- Sally Field played, obviously, the flying nun, Sister Betrayal, and Mother Superior was, uh, hang on, I got her name right here, uh, Madeline Sherwood. And she was actually she was actually nominated for an Emmy for that show as, like, the best supporting uh, 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 actor or actress in a comedy. And you know who she lost to was M- Marion Lorne. Remember her? I was just going to say Aunt Clara. That's right. You're exactly yes, right. It- that was a battle of the heavyweights back then. I mean, you remember Marion Lauren was so old. She started her career in 1905, 05. Okay, Neil, we can see you coming down the ladder now. Uh, so, to be honest with you, no one's no uh, no slight on these two actresses, one right. of which I've already forgot her name, but it must have been a light year for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, there, there must have been a lot of dramas on in that year. Yeah. Um, Dr. Kildare and things like that. Uh, although this had to be, what, 66 or 67, right? 67 through 70. They were on for uh, three seasons, 82 episodes. So Right, but Marion Lauren, not to dwell on her, no. uh, Aunt Clara died in 1968, so she couldn't have won it posthumously uh, too far after that. Right, no, she actually had passed, and they, they awarded it to her after, after her passing. So. Okay, so it's probably a 67 or 68 season. Okay, Mother Superior. That's who we're talking about here, yes. not Aunt Clara. Although that would have been good, her flying, like Aunt Clara flying, <laughs> slap into the side of a building. Oh, my dear, my heavens. <laughs> now, you may have a good idea for, hang, you know what, maybe we should get on the phone. Now, hang on, let me tell you exactly how this show came about, because I'll tell you, yes. this, is, this is, no, it's the most interesting thing about the show, because it really wasn't that big of a hit. But you remember uh, Sally Field did a show before The Flying Nun. She was Gidget. Did you ever watch Gidget? that show? I did. Yes, okay. Gilligan was on that show too, right? I think you're right, Bob, Bob Denver. Denver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. I'll have Don't know. To... He was Dobie Gillis. That's right. I, I get those confused. So. Yeah, Gidget. I remember. <laughs> she was like a teenage kid, lived yep. by the beach or something like that, and had one of those TV dads who you don't know his name, you know. But uh, you know, yeah. Okay, got it. Gidget. Yeah, and and Gidget was actually, it, you know, it was only on for one season. But here's what happened. It was on during the regular season, and it did okay, middling, whatever. But then when they aired the summer reruns, all of a sudden, all the kids started watching. So they, they had canceled the show in the spring. Then it becomes a big hit in the summer, and ABC is like, oh, man, we already canceled it. What can we do? And this is you know, when the seasons always began like September 2nd or whatever the day was. And when they all, all the TV seasons started the exact same time, there weren't that many you know, mid-season replacements. So anyway, so ABC says... Listen, Sally Field's popular now. That show became a hit. We got to find something for her to do. So in between Gidget and the Flying Nun, she does this horrible movie called The Way West. And it was an old wagon train movie, and it actually had a big cast. I want to say Kirk Douglas was in it and a bunch of other big stars. But it Mickey was... Dolenz? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why would you pick Mickey Dolenz? Where would that go? Well, if you ever look on the internet, like a Mickey Dolenz appeared in his first film as a kid, and he's sitting on, on at the front seat of a wagon in a wagon train movie. So I thought maybe that was the same one. But 
No, no, no. Just, he, just a wild guess. No, Mickey Dolan's was Mickey Dolan's was Circus Boy. Remember Circus Boy? Oh, really? Yeah. Now, well, I don't, you know my memory is sketchy sometimes. Well, and I don't remember Circus Boy either. I just know that because I've read Mickey Dolan's book. But uh, all right, so they have this movie, big flop, terrible, and Sally feels like, oh god, this is, oh god, and she's worried about you know getting another gig. So they come to her, and the guy who did it was a guy named Harry Ackerman. You remember Harry Ackerman? Well, the name is awfully familiar. It's on the tip of my brain uh, that he did a bunch of different things. He was a big shot, and Hollywood did a bunch of sitcoms, right? Father's, uh, Father Knows Best, Leave It to Beaver, Dennis the Menace, Hazel, and then Bewitched. And this was... the B! Well, I finished the dishes. Oh, good, Hazel. Now relax. You've had a busy day. Yeah, I thought I'd go in my room and put up my feet and read the... You still reading the sports section, Mr. B? Yes, I am, Hazel. Oh. Well, go right ahead. Don't let me stop you. <laughs> yes. So, so he, this... he did. Harry Ackerman. That's right. That's why I was thinking of it. Yeah. And uh, and actually, when uh, The Flying Nun was on the air, it used to air between Bewitched and That Girl. Um, they were always, you know, those three, for whatever reason, were always on at the same, you know, they, not at the same time, but it was, they were always in order. Um, it was Bewitched and then Flying Nun. So anyway, Harry Ackerman comes up with this idea for The Flying Nun. It was based on a, 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 a book called The Fifteenth Pelican, which was written back in the mid-60s. But he comes up with the idea, and he sells it to the network, and they buy it. And they're going through the process, and they're doing the pilot. And Harry Ackerman's like, Jesus Christ, this is going to be the biggest fucking bomb ever. It's going to ruin my career. He, he like, what? He's like, oh, God, did I make a mistake? So they do a pilot. Sally Field wasn't in it. But they say, hey, you know, we love Sally Field. Let's see if we can get her to do it. And she said, what, the flying nun? Are you kidding me? So she says, she says no way. I don't want to do the flying nun. Are you kidding me? But her agent and her dad said, no, listen, you just made a bomb of a movie. You might have to go. you got to take this gig. You might not work it. She's like, oh, God, you're right. I might not work. Okay, I'll take the flying nun and do it. And so she did it, and she hated it. Absolutely hated it. She For, did in real well, life? Yeah, and she, I, I saw an interview with her when I was uh, doing research for this, and she's very polite about it, but she's like, no, the only thing that was good is she worked for three years on a three-camera show, and she learned more about the craft, but the interviewer asked her, says, okay, so we get to The Flying Nun, um, what was that show about? And Sally Field pauses, and she goes, I don't know. And the I- interviewer kind of chuckles, she goes, no, I really don't know. I mean, I was a nun... And I was 90 pounds. That's what they always mention in, you know, when you would do research. Oh, she was 90 pounds, and her body structure was such and such so that when the winds off the Santa or the Santa whatever mountains come, and uh, it picks her up, and it, it makes her fly. Wait, so she couldn't really fly? She was just blown by the wind? Is that the, the idea? Yes. Yeah, it was just, it was very windy. The convent was in Puerto Rico on top of a big mountain. And so when the winds would pick up, Obviously, she had her, they called it a cornet, but it's her habit, you know, whatever the hat is. Yes. And so yeah, that made was her look different. like a pelican, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and, and, and you know, when you, when you look at those uh, pictures of, of, of all the nuns in those big, they, again, they called them cornets. I mean, they look ridiculous. Have you ever seen a nun wearing a, 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 a habit or a head headpiece like that? No, I haven't. But it sounds like maybe the book was more about a nun that gets blown around by the wind rather than flies, right? That might be more interesting than actually flying. Like if she gets randomly blown around like into the side of a pole or a car, he knocks a kid off a bike or something like that. Yeah. 
Now, see, that's, that's funny. This is the first time I'm laughing at the idea of the flying nun. That's a really good idea. Too bad you and I weren't in a production meeting during this. <laughs> it might, <laughs> might still be on the air, for God's no, sake. No, no, no. You don't have her fly. What you do is you have her blown around. It just <laughs> smack. Boom. You know, no blood or anything like that. It, and, and the thing is, when, I've tr- when I tried to rewatch some of the episodes, it's basically a show just about this klutzy... Uh, overly optimistic sister, Sally Field, Sister Betrayal. You know, and uh, like, you know, they, they have the bell that they ring for services, and she tries to fix the bell, and of course she breaks the bell. And I mean, it's just one caper, like, oh, you know, the, the washing machine is broken, so she goes to the laundromat with all the clothes, and they're filming a commercial, and she becomes the spokesman for a laundry detergent, but then the convent doesn't like it, so they intervene. I mean, it's just kind of just a regular C-minus sitcom scripts. Thrown in on top of it is the fact that, oh, when the wind blows, she takes flight. You know, I got to say, when I, when I went back and I was looking at the open, and that's the reason that I picked this, I mean, here she is, here's a nun flying at like, you know, 4,000 feet, over you know the, the 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 beautiful greenery of Puerto Rico and just and then here come the full screen the flying nun yeah I mean that, that, that sounds that sounds like a Saturday Night Live skip that you so oh come on that's stupid yeah like, come on you can come up with something better like Toons is the cat that could drive a car right it's the same kind of thing basically um, right but you're right that's the impact right the fact that it's, it it uh, illustrates a preposterous premise that Hollywood was okay with running with, even when the guy who had the idea thought it was a shitty idea. Oh, God, yeah. Harry Ackman's going, oh, God, this is it. My career's over. I can't believe I came up with this idea. And it's stayed on for three seasons, so. That can't be it. That can't be the only cast that we would recognize. Uh, Sally Field and what was her name again that beat out Marion Lorne? Uh, Madeline Sherwood uh, was was most appearing. Well, the other person you may remember is Alejandro Ray. He was the local, yeah, he was the casino owner. The, the, I always thought he was a handsome guy, but it turns out that he must have been a horrible actor because he really didn't do too much. Um, Wasn't he in an Elvis movie, Fun in Acapulco? My God, yes, I've got that in my notes. <laughs> Holy okay, yeah. cow. Yeah, no, he it, seemed like a good a classic, suave, um, Hispanic actor. I, fig- I would have figured he would be loading up on the roles. Of, you know, he might have been typecast. Back at that time, but that's that's surprising. Maybe he had other interests or something. Well, no, he maybe he became a priest. No, he had he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of roles, but none of them. As a matter of fact, I think his most prominent uh, credit, as far as appearances go, number of appearances, he was on Tattletales with Burt Convy a lot. Oh, he (laughs) was with Dick Sargent. I don't know if Dick was on the same episode. <laughs> the show was mediocre at best, but still, I just it made an impact on me because I still to this day can't believe it got on the air, even though I didn't think about it when I was a kid. But, uh, but Sally Field actually went into a depression while she was doing that. She was really in a bad way. She got done with the show and went through some therapy and then, of course, had a great career later in the 70s. She was, uh, 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 I was going to say Martha Ray, but no, what was she? She was Annie... <laughs> <laughs> Annie Hall. No, she was who? Uh, she was who in. Was, she was Norma in Smoking the Bandit. We know that. Yeah, Norma Ray. Right. Yeah, which was her second Smoking. best role after Smoking the Bandit. But uh, yeah, no, and that's that's when she did. You love me. You really love me. You know. And she, and then of course she was in that show where she, as a teenager, she uh, played herself as a sister, where she was like a twin, and um, that was Patty Duke. That was Patty Duke, who was married to John Astin. 
Uh, no, okay. he was, no, same he was married. Like no, Patty Duke was married to yeah, Frank Gorshin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just can't. No, Sally Field, and she was in real life uh, dating. That's why they were in. So was she in Smokey and the Bandit or Cannonball Run? Uh, Smokey and the Bandit 1 and 2. And then I don't know. I don't think she was in Smokey and the Bandit three. I think that was just Jackie Gleason and Jerry Reed, uh, which, which by the way, we could do a whole show on because Jerry Reed, a friend of mine, interviewed him and uh, talking about music, all this stuff. He says, "Hey, and you are actually the lead actor in Smokey and the Bandit three. He was, and he goes, uh, "Yeah," and and he says, "I wish y'all hadn't have brought that up." <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know what? I but, might just get bored enough to watch all three of those someday and maybe even make it a marathon with all the Cannonball Run movies, throw in Dom DeLuise and Jamie Farr and, <laughs> and all you can eat, you know? Well, so. do, you know the, do you know how Jerry Reed got the, the lead role? Um, they had done the movie, and hang on a second. Yeah, they, they did the movie, and it was so unwatchable that they went back to Jerry Reed and made him a huge offer. I want to say a million dollars. But they said, listen... We need to reshoot like half of this. We think we can do it in four days, but we're going to need you for four days straight from sunup to sundown. And he said, well, okay. And I mean, if you wa- it's impossible to watch. You cannot watch Smokey and the Bandit 3 and get through it. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. Oh. But he took the, money, took the money and he ran. And, you know, and I tell, we'd probably do the same thing, for God's sake. A million dollars for four days' work? Oh, my God. He got a million for that? For the reshoot? I want to say... I want to say they, they offered him a million. I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the corrections, but I'm 99% sure they said a million bucks for like for four days' worth of work. Shit, I would do four days' worth of flying nun for a million bucks. I don't give a damn. You know, uh, I'd, I'd do four years' worth of flying nun for a million dollars. Well, you, well you, okay, you, you can be the flying nun. I'll be Alejandro Ray. I'll be the, 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 Latin, the casino owner the, who always had all the pretty women by the pool. Yeah. You can... It's a deal, but you're not getting paid anywhere near as much as I am if I have to put on a nun suit and fly around. But, and by the <laughs> way, right, sh- it's going to take yeah. a freaking typhoon to blow me off the ground. I don't weigh any 90 pounds. You're going to have to jack that up by about three, four times. Well, not that much, but, you know, anyway. Um, good. Well, flying nun, thanks for, thanks for the memory. Thanks for the memories. For the memories. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you have picked a show that's a little more mainstream. Although I'm not sure, but now I'm I'm uh, my interest is peaked, Terry. What uh, what show have you selected for this broadcast? Well, Jim, do you remember a couple episodes ago when I accidentally started to do a show that we had already done? I launched into Eight Is Enough. Turned out we had already done it a few weeks prior. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, this time I'm going to do a show that we've already done, but on purpose. Okay. Okay. So this is uh, a show that nobody knows that exists because it is a lost episode. Episode number one, we had technical difficulties. When I broke out right out of the box, the very first show that we discussed, you'll recall, was the CBS sitcom, big hit, 1966 to March 1971, Family Affair. Buffy, Jody. <laughs> yes. Sebastian Cabot. I'm a huge Sebastian Cabot fan. I've let this sit because after the, the, really I would say it was a borderline tragedy of the technical difficulties that ruined that first episode, which is now lost forever, although maybe yes. released later on a director's cut if it can be salvaged. Uh, it's in, I think it's in your lab, right, for up on blocks, something like that? Uh, yeah. Y- 
yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it, it's it's really in bad shape right now. But we're hoping, just like the six million dollar man, we're hoping that we can rebuild him. Okay, so well, maybe one day. But I think enough time yeah. has passed where I really wanted to dig back in and talk about one of my all time favorite shows as a kid, Family Affair, which I started watching. Uh, probably not too long after it was uh, canceled in 1971 because they had it right away in reruns. First of all, this yep. show, uh, if you remember, I mean, uh, this is for our sweet spot audience, most people have seen this. Uh, Brian Keith plays a big-time engineer who lives in New York in this fancy big apartment. Almost looks like... Oh, huge, yeah. Huge. Uh, huge, huge. Beautiful furnishings. It's probably like a madman type thing, like where was it Don Draper or whatever would have lived, like, you know, just beautiful accommodations. Much nicer than the apartment Cannon had, for example. Uh, although he had a pretty big apartment for a TV private detective. But Bill Davis works on big projects all over the country, building bridges and, you know, yep. um, dams and in in Spain and stuff like that. So he's pretty much a swinging bachelor uh, when he does have some free time, but his life really gets turned upside down when his uh, nieces and nephew are orphaned uh, because of the death of his brother and his wife, or either maybe it's a sister and a brother. But anyway, their parents die, and uh, Uncle Bill uh, decides reluctantly, but in a, you know he's a nice guy, going to do what's right, to take them on. And so they come to live with him, uh, in this big fancy bachelor pad where the only other occupant is a prim and proper British butler uh, by the name of Mr. French, uh, played by one of my favorite actors of all time, Sebastian Cabot. And, you know, that's a little curious because what did he need a butler for if he didn't have the kids to begin with? I mean, yeah. is he just is he that lazy? I mean, does he need someone to pick out his shirt and tie? I mean, that was a little odd. Are you but suggesting anyway, there going. was something untoward going on that was the real reason for having the butt? I mean, I don't. I, well, I don't. Know. He had a lot. Of, he had a lot of girlfriends on the show, if I remember correctly. So, they, but they all could have so been beards. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But, but, <laughs> okay. No. Anyway, yeah. here's what he needed him for. This guy's gone on big projects. The place doesn't clean itself, okay? So there's dusting to do, for one thing. Right. Uh, you're, so, no, you're right. And if you're going to live in New York, um, you know, and you don't have a butler, I mean, that's, that looks bad. These, this man's living in high society. You have to keep up appearances. I mean, do you see the park that they go to? Everybody has a butler or a maid. Miss Fabershami meets down there. She services about. They might not really need them, but that's the life of the rich and famous, okay, Jim? Now... Now, wait a minute. I need to correct you, I think. I don't think he was a butler. Wasn't he a gentleman's gentleman? Okay. Yeah, you, you might be right. See, I'm even okay. thinking too low. So you need a gentleman's <laughs> gentleman. If, if you or I were living as bachelors, oh, wait a minute, we are. But uh, yeah. if we had such a, I mean, I don't, if I, would you have a butler if you could afford one? Let me put it to you that way. I can, I can barely afford my cat. Just um, say money's not an object. <laughs> okay. Would you no, call sure, today sure. and hire a butler? As long as as long as he had a British accent and he looked like Sebastian Cabot, yes. Okay. Yes. I probably wouldn't. Instead, I would hire uh, a maid, kind of like Hazel, you know. Oh God. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want well, one that was too good looking around because then you can't get any girlfriends or anything like that. And uh, also, uh, the somebody look like Hazel. I was, would imagine she's a good cook, you know. So I would say I'd probably hire a maid. And by the way, it was canceled in 1971, not because it was a uh, getting low ratings. In fact, it was in the top 15 with its target audience still. 
and in the top 30 overall. So that's still good enough to keep a show on the air. But there, as we've seen, from time to time, there are purges. And you'll remember CBS had the big purge. It had the rural purge in 1971 of uh, what, what, uh, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies. You're out. You're out. Instead, they Mayberry usher, RFD, I think. Mayberry, uh, yeah. Red Skelton, I think, got canceled, too. Right. So Family Affair got the boot, too, in favor of the newer urban shows like All in the Family. Uh, although I think All in the Family might have already been on the air. But anyway, um, so the cast was Brian Keith, who played Uncle Bill, and the, uh, Sebastian Cabot, who we talked about, Anissa Jones played Buffy, Johnny Whitaker played Jody, I'll talk, Kathy Garver played Sissy. I'll talk about everybody in a little bit, a little bit separately. But Brian Keith you know, was a very popular actor, and he played... Um, Uncle Bill, and he uh, agreed to do the show only if he could have a compressed schedule so that he could do other things. So very similar to Fred McMurray on My Three right. Sons, uh, Brian Keith got a thing where he had a 30-day production schedule. So he would come in, I think he, for each season, I believe he only did like 60 days worth. He would come in. Everybody else would work long hours. I heard Sebastian Cabot saying that his wife would complain that for six months out of the year, he would leave at 5.30 a.m., get home at 9.30 p.m., no time to do anything, but not with Brian Keith. He got, he got to come in, and they just, you know, for 30 days, he had, you know, a fairly rigorous schedule, but they just shot around him. Wow. And, uh, again, Fred McMurray had the same deal because he was some kind of big star, too. Although, when you think about it, do you really ever think – Fred McMurray or Brian Keith, for that matter, they were never really A-list. They were, they were A-quality, but they were never, like, top, top leading men. Right? No, I no. Mean, they, they were, if, at best, they were, like, the third lead in an ensemble cast, you know. But, but they did some big movies. I mean, Fred McMurray was in uh, The Kane Mutiny. Uh, yes. And uh, I can't remember what Brian Keith was in, but I know he was in some good stuff. Brian Keith, unfortunately, took his own life in 1997 at the age of 75. He had been diagnosed with cancer, and he had cancer for several years. And so the family members, some of them didn't believe he would actually kill himself. I don't know what they were implying happened otherwise, but they didn't. They said it was out of character uh -oh. for him that even a few days prior to his death, you know, he was looking forward to the future. So anyway. On a so wait a minute. So, so if I go to Google and I type in, the mysterious death of Brian Keith. I'm going to find a couple of websites where people have theories. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it'll be right under the mysterious death of Bob Hope. It'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I'll find that. So I don't know what happened. But anyway, on, that, on the show, as I say, he played a, a single father bachelor here in the, you know, surrogate father. But when you think about it, there's a ton of widowed themes in the 60s and 70s for TV shows, right? We've got uh, Andy Griffith, My Three yeah. Sons, Partridge Family, Courtship of Eddie's Father, Petticoat Junction, Beverly Hillbillies, Brady Bunch, Sanford Son, and I'm sure there's more. But uh, you talk about a, a, a theme used over and over again, the single parent, and they were always widowed, and they never told you how they right. died. They never said, well, you know, they fell out of an airplane, or we were pushed over a cliff, or shot in the head right. on his birthday, or something like that. You know, so. <laughs> they, they, were, they were executed by the guillotine. Yeah. You know, the right. guillotine. Yeah. Or they never said something rude like, uh, you know, it was a bad breakup, and he abandoned the family, or something like that. 
know, it was it was uh, it was just mysterious, and they, you know, and these are comedies, so what do you expect, right? Right. Like right. Brady Bunch, they never even say that they died, or do they? Maybe I think they say in one episode that. I don't remember. I, as a matter of fact, I was just uh, looking at some Brady Bunch websites. I don't think they address that. I think it's just nope. Yeah. They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Um, the show was created by a couple of guys named Edmund Hartman and Don Federson. Now, yes. they also created My Three Sons, uh, The Millionaire, and a show that I don't never ever remember was on from 69 to 71 called To Rome With Love. Do you remember don't that? Don't remember that one at all. But never saw To Rome With Love. But it, these shows were all part of an interconnected universe. My Three Sons, Family Affair, and To Rome With Love. Similar to Beverly Hillbillies, um, Petticoat Junction and Green Acres, how they were created by the same people and they had characters appear on different shows sometimes, like the same character, you know, like crossover. They had Mr. Drucker was on Beverly Hillbillies and as the same guy. And, and, and uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes would show up on uh, Beverly Hillbillies and he'd just say one line, <laughs> I'm not going to buy that. And then he... Uh, <laughs> Oliver Wendell Douglas. I know, I said, I said it wrong. <laughs> It, it, play, by the way, played by work, Eddie Arnold, played by the great Eddie Arnold, but keep going. <laughs> yes. By the way, for work yesterday, I had another seminal moment where I received a letter from a gentleman with the last name, surname of Douglas. So I was able to respond to the letter by saying, Dear Mr. Douglas. Mr. Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that gave funny. me great joy, and he has no idea, and never will, um, <laughs> that I wrote the letter as Pat Buttram. I'm going to offer nope. you a genuine... <laughs> Grecian urn. He's like, what? Now, now, now. Yeah, I'm sure the legal. I'm sure the legal matter had to do with the fact that he bought this rundown farm and he <laughs> yeah. thinks he was taken, and the title might not be right. <laughs> yes, it, it was a real estate matter, actually. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not oh, going to agree to that. So we'll see what what response I get. So then we had, uh, this show was also one of the early ones that showed how dangerous it is to be a child actor. Anissa Jones, who played uh, Buffy, ran through a hell of a time. They tried to keep her perpetually six years old, and they would literally, when she got older on the show, they would tape her chest down, and they would, you know, she was just run ragged, and people could see, I guess people involved with the show, that she was not doing well, uh, but you know, uh, that's the way it goes with child actors, especially back then. They weren't, I, I, I'm not saying that they were mean to her, but they, I don't think they had, was attentive to the dangers of being a child actor. But she died in 1980, I think it was, yeah. uh, of a, um, maybe it was 79. Anyway, she was 18 years old and she died of a drug overdose. So it was very sad. Um, Johnny Whitaker, who played Jody, that got into drugs too, but got himself out of it and ended up being an agent for a while in Hollywood. And his top client, ironically, was Dana Plato. Remember from Different Strokes? Oh, my God. <laughs> that is, oh, what a horrible happenstance. Right. Jesus. So, of course, Dana died after many years of struggling with drugs and things of that nature. Um, yeah. Kathy Garver is still alive. So is Johnny Whitaker. Uh, they didn't talk to each other for a long time, but Oprah Winfrey got them back together again on a special where are oh, they of course she episode? did. Yeah. yeah, and I guess Kathy, the thing with her was she was older when she was on that show. She was supposed to be like I don't know, fifteen or sixteen, but she was actually like twenty, and was a UCLA student. So it wasn't that much of a stretch. You know, she was playing four or five years older. So uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: How did she look when you saw her on the the Oprah thing? As you would imagine, 
Yeah. It's, you know, that's, that's the saddest thing about doing the show, because when we do our research, we'll go back and say, oh, Love Boat, Lauren Tweez. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Well, she oh, looked no. better than Johnny Whitaker, I'll tell you that. No, and uh, I was going to say, he didn't. last time I saw him, oh, my God, he looked like he had been through the ringer. Yeah, helium head kind of a thing, but uh, basically. Uh, and uh, But anyway, what made perhaps the biggest inanimate object star of the show was one Mrs. Beasley, which, remember, was the doll that Buffy carried around, who was bispectacled, had a blue dress with white polka dots, and they would always have storylines from time to time involving Mrs. Beasley. Like one time, Mr. French pushed her off the ledge of the high-rise uh, one time her arm got torn off. and they had oh, to Wait a minute. He, he, did, he didn't push her. I'm sure it was an accident. I can't imagine well, Sebastian. Can... <laughs> Mrs. Beasley, away you go. <laughs> French, don't do that to me, will you? What about Mrs. Beasley? Oh, so I inadvertently brushed her off the terrace, and when I went to look for her, she disappeared. I looked everywhere down below, but I couldn't find her, sir. <laughs> but Mrs. Beasley was a massive... Long-term hit by Mattel in the stores. Oh, yeah. Notable guest stars, and I'm getting towards the end here. Uh, Jackie Coogan, you know, remember him? He was guest starring all over the place, sure. including on the Brady Bunch when he wore the neck brace and they dropped the book and all that. Uh, June Lockhart. Myrna Loy, I don't know who she is. Lee Merrill. Wait a minute. Myrna Loy was a silent actress, for God's sake. Myrna Loy. She goes way back. Maybe she knew and acted with Marion Lawrence. 1905. It could have been. Okay, keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> Butch Patrick. From the Munsters, uh, yeah. I don't remember any of these people on the show, by the way. I talked about Lee Merriweather. I had no recollection. Eve Plum. That must have been one of Buffy's friends down at the park or something. Right. Robert Reed. Uh, Vic Tabak. Oh, God. Stoic flow. <laughs> Joyce Van Patten, of course. Uh, and, and this leads me to my last segment within the segment. Uh-huh. An actor by the name of Sterling Holloway, who appeared as Mr. Frack, the window washer, in episode one, number 19, season one, episode 19, 1966. Do you know who Sterling Holloway is? Well, I believe, and I only know this because we've done the show for a while, he also guest starred on the Andy Griffith show once or twice, but that isn't what he's known for. He's known for something else. He did, and he also guest starred on Gilligan's Island. Remember when he was the prisoner that sent off the carrier pigeons? No, and I don't then, remember that. So Sterling Holloway was the longtime uh, voice of one Winnie the Pooh. Okay, so ironically, um, I don't know if it's ironic, but anyway, in 1966... Uh, that's when he appeared on Family Affair. Now, in February of 1966, Sterling Holloway and Sebastian Cabot teamed up together in the 1966 movie, uh, I think it was Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. It was the last Disney movie uh, produced under the direction, or produced by Walt Disney while he was alive. Oh, he died okay. in December of that year. So, Cabot and Holloway, I don't know if they shot any scenes together, but they they, uh, they worked on Winnie the Pooh, and Sebastian Cabot is iconic for his narration of the first several Winnie the Pooh movies. That's right. I forgot that. Yeah. Right. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to do, well, I'd like to blow your mind. Would you mind okay. if I did that? Okay. Now, I've already told you that Sebastian Cabot was the narrator of Winnie the Pooh. Sterling Holloway did Winnie the Pooh. But there were several other actors, uh, like John Fielder did Piglet. Um, Walter, Paul Winchell did um, Tigger, 
and I want you, I want to tell you who did, you remember Gopher? Say, say, so that bear's sucking a hole. Remember the gopher or the owl? Dash no. it, gopher. The bear is the project. Remove him from that hole. Do you remember owl? No. I, I, bear, I remember Pooh and Tigger, and that's about it. All right. Well, here's the thing. You go back and watch, and gopher is featured prominently in this. It was voiced by one Howard Morris. or Fiddly D, it's Ernest right. T. Yeah. Owl was voiced by one Hal Smith, who played who? Hal Smith. Otis Campbell. That's right. That's right, yeah. And uh, Otis also played, did Winnie the Pooh's voice after Sterling Holloway retired uh, for a little while before it was turned over to an actor by the name of Jim Cummings. Uh, so uh, I just was blown away by the fact that you've got Otis Campbell and Ernest T. Bass both doing voices in Winnie the Pooh, and I never knew it all those years. <laughs> No, me neither. So, so have you written a script? Where you are you going to do like four or five impressions for us now? Yes, or? I'm going to do uh, a quick intro where we get a little dab right. of all of them. Okay. Okay. Plus oh, a bonus great. impression. So, here's the beginning of the show. <clears throat> okay. Deep in the hundred acre wood, there lived a boy named Christopher Robin, who had many wonderful friends, but the most special of all was a small bear named Winnie the Pooh. Or Pooh, for short. Think, think, think. Christopher Robin, would you have any honey? Oh, bother. I'm stuck in this hole. Say, that bear's mucking up the project. Oh, dash it, gopher. The bear is the project. Hee, hee, hee. A tigger's a wonderful thing. A tigger's a wonderful thing. But, since we have so many Mayberry characters, I'd like to... Substituting for Paul Winchell this evening in the role of Tigger is Jack Dodson. Well, I think a Tigger's a wonderful thing, Aunt B. I'd like to help remove him from that hole. Anyway, so that's it. I, I, I thought you were going to say Pooh was having a to-do over at his pad. How about a to-do over at my pad? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So I anyway, must say, you're Winnie the Pooh. It sounds very good, but it sounds a little bit like you're Dick Van Patten. Just a little. <laughs> uh, Sebastian Cabot died in 1977 of a stroke. The only other thing I have to say is, that, of course, they made a remake, which sucked the wad, and it was 2003 with Gary Cole and Tim Curry uh, in the role of uh, Mr. French. Uh, I never saw that, never going to see it. I don't think it's available. Sometime we'll have to talk about Gary Cole and his impact on TV because it's underrated, and he's from uh, Rolling Meadows, Illinois. Went to Rolling Meadows High School. Wow. Uh, was on the Brady Bunch movies. Did a lot of remake stuff, uh, but he did some really good stuff, including Office Space. All right, well, you know, I, I'm glad we did this because my buddy John Kuhn actually uh, got a hold of me about three weeks ago. He goes, hey, man, where's episode one? You don't have an episode one. And I said, well, we did have an episode one, but, and so now, so now, so now we can kind of satisfy him and, 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 you know, and give him his episode one that he so desperately wants. So this can be episode one, a about that, because episode one is lost forever. It's a, it's a mystery. It's like, uh, you know, the Ark of the covenant. No, that's sacrilegious, right. but it's, no, it's not. It, the you the know flying I mean. nun was sacrilegious. I don't think. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So wh why don't you wrap it up as Bastion Cabot or Winnie the Pooh, either one. Okay. I am short, fat, proud of that. Wonderful, our show. So long now. 
Until we meet again in the Hundred Acre Wood. So long, Christopher Robin and our dear guests. All right, this is Jim back with the corrections, and we don't have many this week at all. Brian Keith, he was in a lot of movies, but the most successful one was probably the original Parent Trap. I think it was 1961, the Walt Disney film. And Sally Field, while she was the Flying Nun, actually recorded a record album. And I didn't mention this earlier. But uh, as we like to say, it's worth a Google. She sings songs as the Flying Nun. She even sings a vocal version of the theme song that everyone knows. It's not very good. But again, as we like to say, it's worth a Google. Hopefully next time, Harry's microphone issues will be ironed out. And we thank you for listening. So long now.